Hey folks, and welcome to Dungeon Casters, the Dungeon Master Advice Show for Rookie DMs by Rookie DMs. I'm Ben. And I'm Scott. And we're here to help you write your new campaign for all the wrongs it has committed. Ooh, my dark podcast. This week on Dungeon Casters, we're going to be talking about narrative and story building. Oh. We're going to start off tonight about... Oh. Why Ben is so afraid of this topic. Ben is so afraid of this topic. Ben is afraid of this topic because Ben loves this topic. And Ben is, is overwhelmed by how big this topic is. And Ben could talk about this for so many days. And in the third person. And in the third person, which is an important narrative tool. <laughs> um, I'm a narrative tool. Not, that's all I am. Um, yeah, so for me... This is the biggest topic. This is the most important topic. This is the topic that's closest to my heart. Um, I'm a writer. I write a lot. I'm really invested in writing. I go to school for writing. I study writing. Uh, this is a big deal for me, and it is where um, I've put most of the strength of my own campaign, and if you ask me, the importance of narrative can't be overestimated. Um, I think that whole campaigns are won and lost in the moment-to-moment -moment of the storytelling. Uh, everything else aside, it will crumble um, if this isn't sort of on point at least most of the time. That's a huge amount of pressure. Um, and it's very difficult for people who are practiced in it, and it's nightmarishly hard for people who are not practiced <laughs> in it. Um, there's so many nuances of writing and there's so many nuances of good storytelling and it's not even storytelling like most people will practice where you have set characters in a totally controlled environment like in a novel, a short story, a screenplay, a poem, something. It's, it's, it's a rolling narrative unclosed with a, with a, with a metric assload of variables all the time. It's so hard. <laughs> Well, it's very true. It's, it's one of the most crucial roles of a DM is yeah. crafting this story because uh, as we explained our thoughts on Dungeons & Dragons that it is a you know communal storytelling experience, that being said, yes, we're all working together to create this story, but the DM is the one that's writing the main plot points. They're the one that's writing the uh, conflicts. They're the one that's writing the resolutions. They're the ones that's doing all the really heavy lifting in regards to the story yeah. um, in, you know, its implications and what it really is. Yeah, it's it's you keeping it on track. Um, because even though we've said a number of times how the players will never do what you want, and the players will always find ways to circumnavigate all kinds of crazy things, and how this doesn't matter and that doesn't matter, there's also a lot that you have to manage that keeps the game on track. Um Yes, they're going to move around in ways you can't anticipate. Yes, they're going to move around in all kinds of sort of, you know, X-dimensional ways that are frustrating to cope with. And as much as they sound like they want total freedom, you can't have the total freedom in this game. Because they go into a town with nothing to do, and they stand there like idiots or until you tell them what to do. Or they go straight to the tavern, yeah. and it turns into a drinking simulator. And then, which... Every party does. Yeah, that's where for some reason. It's where the information always is, and <sighs> yeah, but the drinking thing I'll never understand. I don't know what they're getting out of it. But um, so so some pointers on doing this on a really basic level, and I and I plan on making a number of supplements to this. Uh, if if 
they're requested. Uh, if if not, maybe I'll do one more establishing some uh, smaller points that I think are no less important. But the first thing you really want to do is establish narrative uh, and and the bigger issue as soon as possible. Um, and this is tricky to do. Uh, even for the best writers in the world, this is really hard to do. So like, don't feel bad if you have a lot of trouble instigating the big conflict immediately. Um, that's that's okay. Uh, this is part of the learning, and unless you practice writing like constantly, it's not something that's probably going to be that intuitive or that easy um, for probably the duration of your DMing life. But I mean, don't lose heart because no, of that. No, because no, no, no. We, as we've talked about before, we draw inspiration from all sorts of different media, um, and that's something that's really great for this. If you are running a campaign and it is parallel to a movie or a book or a story you've read, even if your characters are familiar with it, it still can be new, exciting, rich, and enjoyable, and it's the kind of thing where you don't have to put too much stress on, oh my gosh, I have to write you know, an entire award-winning fantasy novel so my friends will still want to play this game with me. Right, uh, and it's that's it's a lot of pressure. So, so first of all, breathe. Uh, use your time wisely when you're writing this kind of stuff. But, but I think I think where I want to start with this is there is a I don't know consensus belief tradition almost in a lot of a lot of media. This isn't just like dungeoneering and and writing for this thing. Like books do this all the time. Authors have this problem in all kinds of mediums where they don't get to the point immediately. And I think it is alluring to start slow, because it's slow. You don't have a lot to worry about immediately. You put your party, you say, you're all in a tavern. You don't know each other yet, but you're in a tavern. And in the back of your mind, you're saying, oh, well, there's this lord who's really evil, and there's all this stuff that's going to happen. And there's this initial hurdle that always happens when you start playing a game, where you say, I have a bunch of strangers and I put them in a room and crossed my fingers that they would just talk to each other, and everyone's going, well, I don't know who they are, I have no reason to talk to them. And you're like, well, shit! <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, you put them in any number of situations, and, and this is one of those points where railroading is kind of the way to go, or at least you have to have with your players, like, an accord about, you're just gonna go with it for a little while yeah. until this opens. Well, I mean, and that's the thing is, I start, um most of my stories in the same way. Whereas, uh, you're on a boat. Yep. You're in a tavern. Yep. You're, uh, you're in a jail cell. Sure. Doing the Elder Scrolls special there mm -hmm. with that one. <laughs> but, uh, like... <laughs> the Bethesda bomb. <laughs> yeah. And you, you start that way every time, and your characters know you instantly give them something to figure out. Yeah. Uh, you give them, why are they on this boat? Where is this boat going? And, or, you know, why are they in jail? Why are they drinking at this tavern? Where are they? And the natural curiosity of a player will start to, in most cases, try to suss out what's going on. And you can use that to then, you know, as Ben was saying, establish that narrative and establish that, you know, conflict and idea as quickly as possible. And then once that's established is when you can go ahead and take your time. Right, and I, I think it's it's sort of counterintuitive, and that way you think, like, oh, you start slow and you speed up. In a lot of ways, you really have to speed up, and then you can have the luxury of slowing down. But I think it's, it's you say, like, well, they have to meet, and they have to meet under these conditions, and I want them to be friends, and I want them to, to want to be together. But friendship 
you know, takes a long time to develop in the real world, and you don't really have that kind of time. And so it's, it's more convenient for you as somebody trying to get a game going to say, I have to force them to work together. And through that, they'll just, they'll have a reason to be together, because they're already together, and I, I know that you and I have talked about this, where um, there's really no limit to how useful it is uh, when you start a campaign to say, you're trapped. Like, you're just unlucky enough to be the people that got trapped in some situation. And it's not that you specifically are the group that gets trapped because the group is, is of consequence. It's just uh, a cult of people needed five people, and you were the five. Sorry, you know. Or even on a less dark note, I, yeah. do, I do the, um, you guys have been adventuring together for a while and you're guarding this caravan. Like, yeah, sure. Have them be more mundane adventurers sure. to begin with and then have this story and, that, and the quest you're going on and the campaign you're running be their entry into the grand kind of adventure where it starts out like, yeah, you're just like, you know, a sword for hire that's guarding this merchant as he goes from city A to city B. Right. And then something happens that allows you to move beyond, you know, being a level one fighter who, like, makes sure that this grain gets to the market on time to being, you know, the champion of the realm. Right, and I think that this is where some of the world building from the last episode really comes in, because you do want to have a sense of who some kind of big bad is, or at least an antagonistic force is, and that person even if it's not necessarily something they would dip into, should almost be the person that's causing the problem. Or at least some subservient of them yeah. is the one causing the problem. If the caravan gets ambushed, it's not just nameless raiders. It's it's the Lord's soldiers. You know, it's this it's or, this necromancer's things. And it's like, why are they attacking? It's like, because they are, and you need to see them. And that's really powerful because it... it gives that consequence, and it gives it continuity with the story to come. And you'll always remember, like, oh, this is the asshole that would gave us a big hard time the other week. Like, no, I'm not doing what you say. And you're like, bang, there it is. I have my relationship. They don't like this person. They don't like the, the sight of their guards or their minions. And you have your hook there. And then you say, well, remember that time they wronged you? Oh, man, you, you, do, you pull some shit on your players, and they will never forgive the person who did it. And that's all you need, but you got to get that in there fast. Because if all they're doing is walking between point A and point B, fighting nameless people, all they've done is like a menial job, and you say, and now you got to figure out the story, and they're like, based on what? And you don't have one. Exactly. And, like, and that's the thing is, that's why, you know, using character amnesia is another good thing for establishing that. It's like, you don't know what's going on, and that's what I did in my current campaign. Sure. And as I said last episode, you know, I had two of my players who were particularly devout witness the big bad antagonist murder their god in front of them. Their god was interacting with them, hanging sure. out with them, and they were, you know, on cloud nine because, like, this is their deity, and he's, you know, talking to them. And then all of a sudden this guy just comes over and kills their deity in front of their eyes. Yep. And they are powerless to stop it. And that is not only, you know, establishing, like, all right, guys, here's the bad guy, look at him, look at him go, but also, like, <laughs> that you're going to need to overcome him because he so readily overwhelmed you the first time you met. Right, and, and it seems from the outset, if you're not used to doing it this way, it seems like 
I'm going to blow everything I have at once, and then I'm going to have no material. You're thinking, I wanted to build up to, like, oh, this big bad person shows up, and, like, whoa, you got to overcome them. And, and the unfortunate truth is, in a lot of ways, you have to do it anyway, and then just keep making it worse somehow. And, and it's really hard, because if you throw out something so enormous to begin with, which you frequently have to do, you think, like, how can I even make this worse? And, and you do it, actually, in, in kind of smaller ways than it sounds like. Like, I'll, I'll give some specific examples um, in, in our campaign. So, I took the classic, we start on a boat thing, which is really traditional sort of starting of a campaign, and I said, you're on a cruise liner. And I gave them all these, like, menial, stupid jobs on this cruise line. They got to choose them, but they were still menial, stupid jobs. But I didn't make them do the jobs, really. They were just, that was their sort of narrative reason for being there. And, but I had, um, what was, did I have, was, was, was our elf ranger who took over the casino manager position? Was, was he the first one who interacted with, with the, the NPCs in the story at large with the, there was a, uh, there was a, an artifact yeah, uh, it was. Brought, and, it was uh, yeah, Fangar, the casino manager. Fangar Elfowitz, um, our 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 beloved ranger. Um, as soon as I could, I said, "There's a story going on here, and it's just interacted with you. What do you do?" And if that didn't spark a whole lot of conversation, argument about what now that we have an artifact, we don't know what it does, we don't know why they want it hidden. What do we do with it? I mean, that was. Already, that's this is part of the reason why it took so long to get through this intro, because there were so many people. Again, there's like six members of this party. I think at the time there may have been seven. There were seven. And uh, there was so much to do with, like, is it, should we keep it? Do we bring it? Whose was it? Do we trust it? All these things. Uh, and bef by the time, you know, like an hour had rolled around outside of game, they finally decided what to do with it. And they went to sleep. And you said, okay, well, what happens now? And I said, part of the boat just exploded. And everyone looked at me like, what? And I was like, you heard an explosion. You heard an explosion on the boat. And they obviously go investigate, and there's a big thing, and there was a big firefighting sequence. And you think like, okay, well, I just blew up the boat. And I haven't really established, like, who or why. And, and the truth is, it matters less than you think it does. You don't have to preemptively prep every step of a story. Because this was just to say... Something's wrong on this boat. You have to figure out what it is. And the person who's doing it is just part of the main narrative. They're not the big mover and shaker behind what's going on. And so it developed into, well, now you have to find out who did it. And once you find out who did it, you have to find out you find out why they did it. Or and in this still, case, I don't think you did. No, we don't. We still don't know why uh, anything was being done. We don't know who the person in charge was. We just met and summarily murdered a bunch of lackeys at this point, but, yeah. like, it's the kind of thing where there are implications that were given to us early. The The word apocalypse was used <laughs> early on yeah. enough for all of our characters to, like, those of us who are heroic-minded enough to be like, well, we gotta stop this, and everyone yeah. else being like, well, I'm irreparably connected to this group of people now, yeah. so I guess I'm helping too. Also, like, I live on this world. That's I want to stay living on this world. Um, it's it's a basic thing, and that, that sort of function won't work for everything. Um, and I'll get to that point in a minute about the size of the story. But at the very least, I said, you're on a boat, and you're in the middle of the ocean. If you don't solve this problem, you're just going down. And they said, well, I don't want that. So they, they hunted out 
the the bad guy to be the sort of little bad guy for the for the story, and they said, "All right, well, we have to solve this." And in solving this, and in actually stopping a, a decent part of a of a ritual that was going on, they recovered the artifact. They stopped a bad guy, but they also learned something about where to go next. They said, "Well, what is this thing? Why did they have it?" And they discovered who might know, and it also brought in the the. Uh, the sort of larger organization at work, the sort of men in black type organization, because they were there when they got off the boat. Yeah. And they said, we were waiting for something, where is it? And the the party now had it. And they said, all right, well, you've been implicated, come with us. And I think that you can't be afraid of narrative convenience sometimes. Certainly. Because it's, it's easy to say, like, well, they wouldn't do that. Well, what are the odds they would really do that? And the truth is low, but you're telling a story. And if you don't do these things... There'll be nothing left to tell. And and you can't let realism get in the way of the next step forward. Um, that's a big thing that's hard to learn, and it makes things feel like they're moving too fast from, from the narrative perspective. You think, I'm giving too much information, things are moving too quickly. And I think the point is not to slow things down to the point where one, um, one piece of the narrative takes a long time to resolve, so much as you thread it with a lot of small points, a lot of little explosions to make a big explosion. And that's the thing is that's some um, that's a problem I got into with my current campaign, and that I get into fairly often is with that idea of, you know, worrying about giving them too much or not enough at the onset. I and I get really excited over the stories I write. Like they're really cool. That's why I wrote them. Sure. That's why I, right, or at right. least I think they're really cool. That's why I wrote them. And so I will be so excited to share these ideas I came up with with my, you know, with my players and my friends and stuff that I will reveal too much at the beginning. So there is a balance involved. Oh, absolutely. Giving the players too much of that entry hook, too much of that overarching quest and theme and not letting them discover any of it on their own or through work kind of pulls away from the point because if you're just going to sit there and talk at them, they're not going to you know, do anything, it's going to be boring. Yeah, you don't want to expose it because it takes the agency out of their hands. Um, you want them to do the work. Uh, you really want your players to do the work. And, and the trick to it has more to do with giving them people that they think know the answers, but know infuriatingly less than they wish they did. Yeah. They say, why did you do this? And they say, like, hey... I'm just a lackey here. Like, I'm just picking up this thing for this other person. He's like, well, shit, where's that other person? They say, like, uh, I just know they're in this, this city. He's like, all right, well, we'll go to the city. Like, how hard could this be? And it's like, well, yeah, you found where they are, but it's not easy to get in. And once they're there, they say, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I'll, I, I could tell you, but why do I have to? And they say, like, well, what do you want that would make me tell you? You tell us. And they say, well... I have, a, I have a problem myself that you could help solve. And then it's, you get a whole other story hook. They have to go on a quest to get the information, this tiny little fragment of information they're so hungry for, um, that could, could even be untrue. It doesn't matter. It just has to keep going on a thread. You have to give them some clue. You can't lock clues behind skill checks. You can't say, oh, they just tell them a lie. But there's no one around who's going to tell them the truth. There, there's characters who can lie, but somebody should, somebody they know should tell them the truth. And it, and I, I would say that in every lie, there should be just a little ounce of truth that gives them one more piece of information that they didn't have before. Well, and I think that, you know, 
brings up a good point, which is in regards to writing a Dungeons and Dragons campaign versus writing, you know, a typical story, yeah, um, or a typical novel or whatever. It it is a, a very different way to go about it, and yeah. because the characters, well, the main characters, the protagonists are not in your control. Yeah, you do have to alter the way the story goes. You do have to alter kind of the traditional writing style of a you know fantasy novel. To allow for the players to have enough freedom of movement to have fun and explore and enjoy. Yeah, I would say that it is dangerous, uh, in my experience, to start a campaign with a really set end goal in mind. Um, I would say that if you say, okay, this is the problem, and by the end the players will defeat this person. They will recover this thing. And I'm going to lead them to that point you're setting yourself up for failure. They are not only not going to do that, they will almost do the opposite. Uh, or they will just find something else they want to do instead, and everything you worked on falls away. And so you don't want to do the novel thing. You don't want to do the screenplay thing where you say, oh, well, this person's going to do this because I want to make this point about this moral piece of, of, of like, kind of gray area. They're not going to say, oh, I want to sort of have this philosophy present. You say, there's a problem that affects you because it affects a lot of people. And I've curtailed it around or tailored it around your character. Uh, there is something about the character backstory you gave me and the type of character you're playing that lets me say, yeah, you'd care about this. And it should be said that when I started my campaign, um, I had them make the backstories, and then I didn't really start writing any narrative until I said, here are the backstories, how can I make these into a story? And that meant that I always had a way to bring the character's personal journeys into the direct line of plot. Uh, it wasn't immediately apparent, as it doesn't have to be immediately apparent, but there are so many times where, oh, this this thing, like, and, and some of this they just haven't encountered yet, but this thing you're looking for, like, you actually know where it is. You didn't know what it was, and you didn't even know it was there, but you know where it is. Or somebody's on a journey that will cross them just by nature of what the journey was, with a, a point relevant to the other plot. And I, and I would just encourage uh, any new DMs to start with basic parameters and say, like, this is a problem that exists. Why would these characters care? And what little curveballs can I throw them that will incite them to go towards uh, a point that solves the bigger problem? But don't do it with an end goal in mind, because you're you're trying to lead pigs around and they may just run off and then you go you have to do so much work to bring them back <laughs> well that's the thing is no one wants to be led around by the nose no, and so don't. when you're you're building this campaign as you know ben said it is it is important to have the problem affect them and have it be you know relevant to them and have them want to you know um partake in this adventure but the idea is the decision is ultimately up to them. So it's up to you as a DM to... And this is why we stress narrative is such an important thing. It's up to you as a DM to make the story you're setting for them intriguing enough and compelling enough that that's the story they want to tell. That's the story they want to be a part of. Right. And, and like we said in a previous episode, the characters can be really self-centered. 
they they make the they make the characters players make the characters that they want to be they want they think will be fun to play they think will be uh, fun to develop and if you give them a story that doesn't coalesce with those goals you've just said to the player uh, what you've decided isn't interesting I'm gonna do something else and not only do they have a character that may be totally unfit for the type of adventure you're running you've kind of disregarded their feelings to some degree and again when you're running the game, you're running the game for them. And so even if you say, like, oh, I wanted to do this, like, really big sort of apocalyptic story or this really big sort of moral tale, but all your characters make, like, uh, very mundane characters with very mundane problems, and they're not especially heroic in the traditional sense, then you've just kind of set them up to be killed and to be fodder and to, to die early and have no real chance to play that out. Um, it's, it's, it's caref be, be careful not to disregard the feelings of the people around the table in that way, because you can get a lot of material about uh, what the story could potentially be and how impactful it could be, but it has to pertain to your characters very, very closely. In a lot of cases, you have some room, obviously. You know, once they're trapped in the location, they'll try to get out. Yeah. But you can't just say, don't you want to handle this problem? Is, doesn't it? Doesn't your just basic morality tell you to do this? Because they may just say no. Um, and so, if it if it's more in line with what your player said, you know, this is what my character wants to do. They want to start a business. They want to like have a keep. They want to slay the the biggest bat around because it's like a contest where they come from. Say so like, okay, that's, let's let's do that. Well, and that's what you do. And that's the thing is like, you know, if you have a party full of Han Solos and no Luke Skywalker, yeah. no one's, none of them on their own were going to go and blow up the Death Star. Nope. Um, nope. So, with that, you have to find something that's relevant to your characters. And yes, you write the story and you have this uh, narrative set forth for them to play, but it is for them. So it has to be intriguing and interesting to them. And that's why it's very important to write a good narrative. Right. Um, did you have something? I was, I, was, I was just going to say, uh, transitioning into writing a good narrative, starting with the very beginning. Oh my god, the very beginning. Uh, I want to start with a wider point, um, in just a conceptual point, is in my experience of writing, um, and this is not true of everybody, because there's some people who do enormity in narrative very well, uh, and that is not me, but I also think there's a principle there, that big stories like really big global scale stories, even continental scale, country scale stories, can be very hard to parse on an individual level. Um, if you think about when you watch the news or something, and you say like, you, you see, uh, you know, earthquake in Japan, provided you don't live anywhere near Japan like we do, you sort of think, oh, that's really tragic. And then you go, next news story, you know, you, 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 you recognize the gravity. But it, it doesn't necessarily have a huge amount of impact, and maybe it does to you, but there's all kinds of stories that are huge, and we, you know, we get inundated with a lot of enormous stories all the time, and you just don't necessarily always have, like, an emotional attachment to them, but, like, when a friend of yours breaks their arm, you're like, oh, Jesus, like, are you okay? Like, oh my god, like, you, you start to panic, and it's like, by comparison, that's nothing, you know, or, or you wanted to get into a school, and you don't. And you're like, my life is over. Like, and you think like, compared to an, an earthquake in Japan, that's not a huge deal. But it matters so much 
because it's your personal story that's taken precedent over every ounce of your emotions. So when you try to say, don't you care, this world is going to end, I've made this fantasy world and there's a big creature and it's going to kill everyone, you go like, yeah, I guess that's bad, like we should stop it. But if you have a character who's like, man, all I want to do is like learn this boss spell. I want to create a spell. That's all this character wants out of life, to make their own spell. And if they can't do it, every time they fail to do it, they will pull their hair out with frustration and they will swim an ocean if they think that they could do it for just a second. And so in that way, big stories can be very small. You know, it's like when you think about um, any like short story or any short film, like you can get really large scale topics across very quickly and the world cracked in half, you know, it's so big, it almost lends itself to broad explanation and you think like, oh, I get it. But when you say like somebody fell down like on their face, you think like, I mean, should I care? And the point there is there's a lot of, there's a lot more story that has to be told in the small things. And those small things are what your characters care about is what your players care about they made these little nitty-gritty things they want to see them in such high resolution but like a big thing it's almost too big to really grapple with uh intellectually in in my opinion um in terms of starting i still think big narratives are a great that's your that's a great track that's a great way to lay track well, I mean, and, uh, and like, in regards to traditional uh, exposition in a story starting, I think that um, one of the most interesting things for new characters in a new campaign is, especially if you're in a new world, is learning and understanding the world. Yeah. And I think that alone in itself, that uh, innate curiosity, when done correctly and in, the cer in certain circumstances, can be a pretty good supplement, if not your story hook where unfamiliar territories or unfamiliar cultures and like a lot of the stuff we talked about last episode in world building when that's new to the characters it's important for them to understand yeah. um like i have a situation in my current campaign where there is a caste system in the world uh they live in and i don't know if anyone's picked this up yet by my descriptions of my campaign it's very dark dark, dark world, um, but there's a caste system, and everyone in the caste system is branded, and so at first they didn't realize it, and now they're starting to pick up every person they meet has this different brand at a different place of their body, and people are starting to call them, uh, in the world was known as faithless, they don't have any brands, so people are starting to treat, like, the regular common people they come across, treat them with suspicion or, you know, outright hostility, because they don't have this fundamental aspect of the setting. Right. And that was enough of a hook to get them to try to investigate what these mean. Right. And now, you know, they're going to start, they're starting to look into where this is going to, what these brands are, how do they get one, why don't they have them kind of thing. And that's how they eventually discovered they were kind of transported to this world without their knowledge, and that's why they don't remember, you know, their past, or they don't remember how they got there. Right. So so in this case, your narrative comes a lot from your world building, which makes a lot of sense, considering yeah. that's really your probably your forte. Yeah. Um, in my case, because the world building is, is not my forte, those bigger elements of, like, this very specific culture built on these very specific rules, and there's, like, a whole city or more of people who do a certain thing, that's not where my journeys come from. My journeys come from... The players made backstories, 
those are my stories, and there's like a loose thread of a larger scale plot happening behind it that keeps things moving forward in like a fairly orderly fashion. But I think um, the the leaking of that big story is what keeps you moving forward, but the little bits of your personal stories that I let develop seems to be what keeps people engaged. Um, the big story gives you something to do. It gives you a job, but the little story is what makes that job worth doing. Cause you think like, oh, that's gonna, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's gonna cause some problem. Like I, my character wants to do this, but like, I don't know. And it's interesting to see what you'll do. I mean, it's, it's exploratory for the player as much as it is for the character. And that's really the, I think the job of a good narrative is to, is to incite exploration internally and externally. It's tricky to do. I mean, I really can't underestimate, um, or overestimate how hard that is. Uh, and it takes a lot of practice. And like, if it takes you some tries to figure out, like, that's fine. Uh, I have certainly wanted to retcon certain things I've done, I said, like, I really could have done that better. I really should have done it this way. This this would have been such a better idea narratively. Um, but you can't, and so you have to hope that uh, your players will be forgiving, and you have to ask them sometimes, you know, I've not done this. Do, is it okay if sometimes I say, I was wrong, can we change this? And I had to do that once, and I put in an element, I said, I just can't keep track of this. Um, it sounded so cool on paper, and it seems like such a huge pain in the ass to do mechanically yeah. and do you mind and do you mind if that changes the story fundamentally and they said no that's fine I'm more interested in the personal journey I'm going through than in this part overall um, and truth be told I, I, I have offered up downtime and stuff to you and you've been interested enough in the story to say no but I'm fully prepared for the characters to say like I think I want somebody else to handle this big problem. I my character now has like much more personal goals that I'm just more interested in playing through. And that's okay. And that's just that's part of the DM's job to say I'm stringing a narrative with 10 variables in it. And I can't resist the variables. I have to say they are variables. I accept that about them. And if things change, things change. And I will do a lot of writing very close to play. Because at any moment, somebody could text me and say, like, I think I really want my character to do this. And I say, that's not what I had in mind, but that's what they want. And who, you know, what am I going to say? No, you can't have the fun you wanted to have. Exactly. You got to have my fun. That's, that's ridiculous. It is. And then, um, and that's the thing is, like, there is, and we talk about this a lot, and it, it, it is because it's important. Um, there should not be an antagonistic relationship between the characters and, and the DM. That should be an open line of communication, and it should be, like, the kind of thing is, I know after almost every campaign I've ever run, there's always been, or every session of every campaign I've ever run, there's been the, like, 10-15 minute cigarette break afterwards where we all, like, talk about it, and I listen to what the characters liked, I listen to what they wanted to do, and, like, how, what they thought about stuff, and, you know, I also keep an open line of communication with my characters where if there's something that they want, um, you know, I will be open to putting it in the story, and I know I've, I've neglected characters in the past, I'm currently neglecting one of my characters, um, I'm sorry, Ogis, uh, <laughs> his, his character's personal quest to find the 
turbo spatula with port and starboard, starboard attachments. Yeah, yeah. The, the hydrodynamic spatula. That one. Yeah. He's, his, his character's quest is to find that, and that has not come <laughs> up once, and has right. not been relevant, and that's my bad. And that's narratively, yeah. that's like me fucking up and not pulling his character deeper into the story. And he is enough of a team player for it not to affect him too much, and there are other reasons he's invested in the story outside of him just being like a good player, you know, and doing me a favor. But also, like, that's something that he wanted as his character that sure. I neglected. And that's, you know, that's a problem. Because it was something that he spent the time to think about and decide. And, yeah. like, he's made a part of who he is, and yes. I'm ignoring it. And there, there's a limit, right? There's a limit to how much a player is going to stand their own personal story being ignored. And some players have a pretty long, patient sort of spectrum. Others, you know, they really dislike when they're getting ignored. And to some degree, you know, a group is going to have to suffer through not everybody gets the spotlight all the time. Yeah. But if you go 10 sessions and somebody's thing has not come up, it's it's like, hey, I wanted this. This was a lot of the reason I'm playing. And you say, like, well, it's not relevant to the story. And it's like, no, it it is relevant to the story. It is the most relevant thing to the story because it's the it's the story your player wants to have. And the, the, the player is the protagonist. The player is the protagonist. You're just, like I said, you're the calculator. You're the rules monkey. Right. You, you get to make a lot of decisions, but I would say that in a lot of cases, leave this one up to the, the players. Um, it's, it's hard. It's hard because you probably wanted to do this because you had a big story in mind. And then you look at what your players want and you're like, what? What is this? This is like nonsense by comparison. Um, but for me, it's very rewarding to say like, my friends wanted this and this is what I'm giving them. And, and, and I want to stress again, we've mentioned this in earlier episodes that speaking to your players before this even starts is really, really, really important because you can say, I have a big, big narrative sort of worked out. I know I want to have this thing happen and this thing happen, this thing happen. And everybody tells you like, I've got this story that I think would be fun to play. And I've got this story that actually really kept me thinking about it for a lot of days. And sometimes you have to go, I'm going to, I'm going to scrap it. And, and, and even, even sort of, sort of most extreme case, if everyone agrees, I'm willing to have known all of these people before the game starts. You know, all these characters know each other and we're just going to go on everybody's personal quest. That could be really great because everyone knows their turn's coming. And everybody gets to have their really shiny moment. Everyone well, gets to, to verb. <laughs> like Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a really great, you know, kind of idea and a great way to do it. I think that, you know, what can be taken even further with that is using that kind of quest that everyone has their own personal narrative, everyone has yeah. their own personal goals, and finding a way to string them all together yeah. into your, you know, overarching narrative, into your grand quest. So have, regardless of how different or, uh, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum each personal quest is, figuring out a way to link them all together will create one of the greatest campaigns your characters will play, your players right. will play, because that not only has all the joy of that spotlight of them being the star of the show for that session or a couple sessions, but it also has a joy of the, the great accomplishment, the large quest that is fulfilled, where each of them felt like it was a piece of them together to create the whole. And that's right. what forges like a really good bond between player characters and also like a really great you know narrative 
that you had with your friends and the really good sessions. And those are those are the D and D campaigns you remember forever. Right, and and I think that. It seems tricky sometimes to say, like, okay, we, we'll take your example. You know, okay, this this player wants this hydrodynamic spatula, which, you know, is just like a sort of magic MacGuffin. It doesn't really matter what it is. And you say, okay, well, he wants to find that. Well, it's got to be somewhere. Okay, where is it? And you have options. You can say, it's in a really scary dungeon. And that can be interesting and, and, and totally enjoyable. But you also have the opportunity to say, well, or... It could be the prized possession of player B's mother, or aunt, or estranged cousin or something. And you're like, well, all of a sudden, now I've got two players involved in this. And then you say, yeah, but then I can also have, say, the nemesis of player C be, like, mind-controlling the aunt of this, you know, just because that's what they do. And you say, now I've got three players involved. And then, let's say you've got player four, and you say, uh, I don't know, something else in that. I mean, you get you get the point here that... You have the option of putting anybody into any role at any time. You say, this person can have it, and they can be under the control of this person, and that person's been trying to stop that person, and all of a sudden, you've ingrained every single character story into one point. And everybody's like, well, I mean, I gotta get my thing, I gotta save my family, I gotta stop that person, I have to work with that person because I've been trying to get trained by that person for ten years, I gotta impress them somehow. And you could have said, it's in a dungeon, you'll meet nobody, sorry, it's just going to be hard, or maybe it's narratively convenient to a point where you say, like, wow, what are the odds? But that's kind of what stories are. And that's, and that's the point, is, like, there is the idea of fate in D&D, and I use, uh, oftentimes I use the dice as a metaphor for fate in D&D, but on a more, yeah. more large-scale, more grand scale, and a more narrative scale, yeah. um... Fate is the kind of thing where, like, these characters that your players created are thrown together for some reason. And yeah. yes, it might be convenient that all of their backstories are linked, but that also might entirely be why they were all thrown together in the first place. That's right. why they're all together. And that's where you can use things like divine intervention and the idea of, you know, gods affecting the worlds of mor mur mortals. <laughs> Myrtles. Uh, Myrtles. <laughs> Bunch of Myrtles. <laughs> Bunch of Myrtles. But, like, that's, that's where you can use the idea of gods affecting uh, the world of mortals in the sense that, like, alright, so player A, B, C, and D all happen to be on the same ship. They didn't know each other beforehand, but the god that wanted them all together to uh, perform this quest happened to have one of their aunts die, so they needed to take the boat to the aunt's uh, estate. Had yeah. one of them win a free pass on this ship in a lottery. Have one of them be down on their luck and finally get a job working on this ship. So sure. now this god has affected fate in the way that they're all on this boat together and will inevitably, inevitably find those connections. Right, I mean, you can't ignore that this is, this is a game of fantasy. And therefore, it doesn't really have to abide by the laws of, of our world. Probability. Probability, period. I mean, it's, it's a story. It's a fantasy. There are beings with immense power over the cosmos, physics, fate, luck, all of these things. And use them. Say, like, yeah, is it ridiculously convenient? Yeah, but you have forces well beyond your control conspiring to, to kill you. Why? I don't know. They think it's fun. 
they they picked you losers out of a lottery, and they say like, let's see if we can kill these these like these these people, and 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 you can do that kind of stuff, and you can say like. Yeah, I mean, you're just being assailed by bad luck, it seems, and and maybe you do have some 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 good on your side too. You know, maybe maybe a good god has chosen you, well, and that's great. But not always, and, yeah, and, and you can do that kind of stuff. There's no there's no rule against it, and it's encouraged. It it's, gives you so many outs. <laughs> it does. It gives you so many outs, and like that's the thing is. If this fate didn't happen to throw these characters in this story together, yeah. there wouldn't be a story and you wouldn't be playing the campaign. Yeah. If uh, Legolas, Aragon, Gimli, and the rest of the Fellowship didn't all meet together at that elven city and, you know, become the Fellowship of the Ring, there wouldn't have been a story. Yeah, it like, wouldn't have like been it's sure lucky there was somebody there from every race to volunteer, and they were exactly what they needed. And boy, weren't they just great foils to each other? Like, how bizarre! Like, this happens in stories all the time, because real life can be really finicky about, like, did it work out? I don't know. Did it resolve? Eh! <laughs> and, and while that can be, I don't know, funny sometimes, you know, like, in this really, like, very convenient world, all of a sudden it was like, yeah, you didn't quite do it. <laughs> Whoops. That's that can be funny, but but also because you're telling a story, because it's a work of fantasy, and because it's a game that you want to have that level of continuity, do it. Say, yeah, you actually have a lot of ties together. And like maybe you're you even are like linked in ways you didn't know. You go and you find out like you're distantly related or like you're the person that killed this person's sister. Like who knows? I mean, there's anything you can do and you should embrace that. And I, I think that, especially in a game with so many variables, you can find them as they arise and go like, ah, I'll use that later. I, don't, I, I need to know it now, which is good, and I didn't know it was coming. But I can use this later, at like a super inconvenient time for the players, which is always a total, total scream. Um, otherwise... Well, and... Well, I mean, that's, that's the thing is, like, don't mean to talk over you no, here for no, a second, no. but, like, I mean, we've been talking a lot about um, the pitfalls of creating this narrative, but also mostly how to use it for good and how to properly, you know, integrate this narrative into your story. And I think it's important also to talk about how narrative can be used poorly to detract from the game. Yeah. Okay, uh, super easily. It's actually, um, like, a hundred times easier to do it badly. Um, and I don't mean badly in that it's, like... Unskilled? Yeah, unskilled or clumsy. Badly as in, there comes a point where, like, the tavern situation where your players just go and get totally wasted. And you're just like, alright, we're gonna play out them getting wasted. And if it doesn't come to anything, they just do it. You go like, and we're in the same position we started. You don't want to have them basically have a net zero experience from something. Um, you and sometimes they'll oh. try to make you have a net. Zero oh yeah, experience. yeah. They don't know it, but they will. They they will, especially players who will like try to stay out of trouble, is really difficult. And players will do it, especially players who've played before. They know the signs. Like you don't get on the boat. If you can help it, you don't get on the boat. And, and if you can help it, you don't talk to the weird people in the corner. And and you, you're very cautious about, like, rooms that look very clean, you know? And, and you don't do these things. But what you end up with, if you don't push them to do things, or know they're going to think that, 
and change it so they end up walking in the wrong place anyway, is you get a story where nothing happens, and everyone's super competent, and they never face trials. And some of this just comes down to player cooperation Certainly. at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, because it is a game, we've put a lot of pressure so far, like the DM has to do this, the DM has to do that. This is a place where the players have to go, yeah, I'm willing to go along for the ride. And if, if, you, if you say, this is the campaign, uh, we're going to be talking about this, and all your players go like, I'm not going to do that. The answer to that response is, then we have no game to play. Yeah. And we have to come back next week where I have written up something that I hope you will find more engaging. Um, it's, you're not at the, the whim of your players. You want to give them what they want, but you want them to seek things out, and I think it can be very easy to not do that, uh, to, to not give them a job to do, and, and, or to give them a job that doesn't amount to anything further, that doesn't put them in more danger, that they have to keep getting out of. Well, and that's the thing, is I think that um, it is completely acceptable to tell the characters why they're in a place. I recently played uh, like a guest spot in a uh, friend's campaign, and... He started us off as, we traveled to this island uh, that had a frontier town in it because we heard there were job opportunities there. And so all of our characters, regardless of our backstory, were just like, we heard there's jobs here, so this is why we came. And yeah. we met on the boat on the way over, and we're like, oh, you got the, you know, uh, you ripped the little tag off that sign on the pole, too, and you're yeah. gonna call this number and get the job. Yeah. And so we all found out that, like, hey, we're all here to get jobs, so we should, might as well hang out together. Sure. And then the quest started. And yep. then it, you know, we we didn't get jobs, and there was a cult, and we got sent to some kind of post-apocalyptic dimension. It was rough. But, <laughs> uh, the point being that, like, I think that was, that was actually his first time DMing ever, and I think that is a completely acceptable way, especially when you're new to the role of a DM, is to be like, listen, this is why you guys are here, this is what you're doing, and the players need to accept that you're telling a story together, so you're telling them the plot, they're choosing the character's actions. And if the characters um, choose to just, like, fight you on everything you lay in front of them, that's fine, but that means you might have to revisit having this D and D campaign. This yeah. might not work out. That, that's a topic. For, that's a whole big topic for another one about like just your players and if they're like cooperating and that's, if you're cooperating with them. That's an enormous issue that supersedes anything. But I think too, um, um, there's another part of this where when you're planning a narrative, you have to be good at assuming what your players will do. But you have to do it many, many times, in that you have to have several branches. You have to say, uh, they might do this, 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 or this, and I'll plan for that stuff. You can't say, oh, they'll obviously do this one thing. That's really dangerous. Because they will um, never do that one thing. They almost never will. You know, you, you say like, oh, well, they'll obviously go to this burning house. And a player might just go, no, I don't want to do that. And so you, you have to plan for more contingencies than you think you do, but less than you think you do, too. Like, for example, in, in our campaign, um, there was a situation in this town where there was a, an ongoing stalemated war between a, a collection of hags, three hags, and a wraith that was once the mayor of this town. And it had basically it trapped this town 
against both sides of the war. They couldn't leave for the forces that were battling between them. And I said, well, look, the players are going to have to find somebody who's in the town. That was the baseline of the story. They could choose not to interact with any of this warfare, find the person, and leave. And I was totally prepared for them to walk into the right place the first time, walk right into the basement, find her, and get out. And that would have taken about two hours, if that, and it would have been over. But at the same time, I said, look, these are my friends, and this is contingent also on you having some sense of who these people are. Um, I said, there's hags, and I'm going to write out the relationship between the hags, because it's totally possible they might want to interact with the hags on like a more diplomatic level, and maybe they'll try to make them allies, and maybe they'll try to turn them against each other. So I want to know what these hags think of each other, what the hags want, what the hags would do uh, if the players do ally with them, if they get all of them, if they get some of them. Likewise, I want to say, what does the wraith want? How could they interact with the wraith on a non-combative level? Are there ways that they could uh, work out arrangements between the two? How could they sort of subvert what one wants to use what the other one wants? And I said, my players are clever. They'll, they'll probably try to work out some kind of plan to make it easier for them. And I want to know who they go to, what's going to happen. Does it matter if they're trying to do it to the blacksmith who I didn't really work out too much? No, because I kind of figured they wouldn't. But the Wraith and the Hags and one or two of the townsfolk were major players in the plot. They knew the most. They were there when the things started happening. And in some cases were just plain responsible for what was happening. And I said, they're going to go to these hags. That's part of what just has to happen. And if they do, who they talk to, who they see first, I want to know what that hag would want out of them. If they go to the wraith first, I want to know what the town looks like if they go to the wraith first. If they help one side overrun the other one, what happens? But when it came down to it, I only wrote, I don't know, maybe five or six possible outcomes because I said my players have to go through these methods to some degree. There's a lot of them relative to one, but I, they're going to have to go through at least one or two of these just by nature of getting in and getting out. Well, and what is that going to look like? But everybody else, I said, doesn't matter. I mean, if they want to involve them, fine, but they still got to go through this road. And, and that's the thing. And that's what's, you know, important and a pretty big difference between uh, story narrative versus, you know, Dungeons and Dragons campaign narrative is that you write, instead of a concrete single thread, you kind of have a few wispy, more ethereal threads yeah, that you can grab onto at any point when your characters jump down that path. Yeah. And I think that is, uh, you know, a, a great way where you did that. And that, that town and that civil war, or that war between the hags and the wraith was fucking... Emotionally exhausting for most of us. It was emotionally exhausting for, for reasons that came up later. There was, um, and we, we can share this story maybe in a, a supplement or something, because it is a little longer, but eventually, even though this was a very external plot, I said, the there is always room for the internal development. And I wrung these people dry. Oh. I didn't necessarily intend to, but I, I really squeezed the life out of them right at the end there. Um, and it really was... was pretty great. It went much better than I anticipated, and I was I was scared to do it, but sometimes that's the most fun stuff, is like, how far can I push them? Uh, emotionally, not not in terms of their character's physicality. Yeah. Because, in my mind, just inflicting pain on your players 
doesn't mean the end result is worth it. Well, and that, that kind of brings one of the, the last points I do want to talk about today is the idea of um, resolution, rewards, and the point that difficulty does not necessarily equal its own reward no. or even equal fun. No. Uh, I think there's like there's like a, a misconception in like a lot of video games especially where it's like, well, it's just really hard. So when you finish, you're like, yeah, I did it. But a lot of times, at least when I play games, I'm like, that was just hard. Like, I didn't really enjoy that. I, You know, in some games, the difficulty is the point. And it's like, man, how many times am I going to do this? Like, I'm going to have to get smarter. I'm going to have to get just stronger. But it's it's the evolution that's more interesting. You know, being like, man, I just level grinded, and I level grinded, and I got good enough. That's the part that's interesting. Doing it 150 times was not the interesting part. And and I think that... So you're a big fan of Dark Souls. I do actually like Dark Souls, but Dark Souls is about the development. You know, it, it is about the development. Games that just make you do it 100 times with no development. You just have to, like do it until you memorize it. They're not fun for me, and I think that they're really, really slow in role-playing games. And and I, I was thinking of sort of a, a nice analogy here, so I want to just compare these two points. Um, if you have players and they're traveling a distance and they have to go through the woods, and they're fine, you know, they're just camping the night, and they get attacked by wolves three times. You're like, yeah, I guess... I think all you've done is reduced my hit points, and it was frustrating, and combat takes a while. So, there was nothing narratively that happened. I didn't develop as a person. I didn't forge a relationship. I didn't feel good or bad about it. It just happened. I just had to deal with it. And at the end, I'm like, please, God, don't send me any more wolves. Like, just don't. I, like, as a player to a DM, like, don't send me any more wolves. Like, I'm done with these wolves. That said, if you have two players defending three very sick players from wolves, all of a sudden you have a fairly tense situation where it's like, God, like, I now have to defend lives in a, in a really bad situation. I'm totally outnumbered, and I have my friends that I'm defending. That's big. Just having somebody to defend, or, or having to wait until everyone else can show up. Like, can you hold this off until your friends arrive? Can you do it? Can, can, a, can somebody who's not versed in combat do it? Do, can they survive? Are they smart enough to survive? Like, that kind of stuff. The difference between just, I'm going to send waves of enemies at you, and I'm going to send waves of enemies at you to see where your ethical boundaries are, to see if you can be smart enough to solve a problem you didn't think your character could solve. That's the difference. And those are rewarding. You know, saying, yeah, I just beat up a lot of things. Yeah, I guess. But saying, like, I beat up a lot of things that I thought I was allied with. I beat up a lot of things I thought were way stronger than me. I beat up a lot of things to defend somebody I don't even like that much. That's huge! That will keep your players going forever! They love that shit. They don't even know they love that shit, but they love that shit. Um, yeah. So, there's a lot more to say, uh, and I will probably do some sort of supplementary episode uh, about this, if you have any personal questions that you want to ask about narrative building, about how to sort of extract the emotional juice out of sometimes mundane or very ordinary elements, uh, feel free to ask us. Uh, email us at dungeoncasterspodcast at gmail.com. 
Or you can tweet at us at dungeon underscore casters. And uh, maybe we'll answer your questions on this episode. We're going to at least try to get back to you as soon as possible. If we have a, a number of questions, we might compile them. That would be pretty cool. That would be a fun episode. Yeah, it would. Oh, hey, Ben. Uh-huh. Hey, Ben. Yes. Hey, Ben. <laughs> yes. Why don't undead bards write music? they can only decompose. by Kevin McLeod of thecompetech.com, licensed under Creative Commons.